And when that bird actually lands onto your glove, I've had the roughest, toughest murderers start crying. Literally tears run down their eyes. So it, it's just, it's really, it's like your first child being born. It's, it's all of those beautiful firsts that you, you can never recreate. That's what that is. You definitely are going to lose yourself, regain yourself. I tell people, becoming a falconer, I found something that I never even knew I was looking for. And when you have it, you can't go back to who you were. Welcome to The Open Air. This is Jesse Raisler, and you're listening to Open Air Humans, stories of how people have found a happier, healthier, more human life outdoors. Today, a story about second chances and how wild things can turn a life right side up in some incredibly profound ways. Rodney Stotts is one of very few black falconers in America. He's recently written a book about how birds of prey helped to lift him out of a life of dealing drugs after his first encounter with a Eurasian screech owl he calls Mr. Hoots. The story of what he's come through and what he's building now is one I'll never forget. This episode is brought to you by The Open Air Outpost, a new nature escape with luxury tiny cabin and glamping options just two hours northeast of the Twin Cities. It's a place where we made it easy to put into practice all the wisdom we've learned from the guests on this very show. You can even book unique experiences with some of them as part of your stay. Learn more at openairoutpost.com. Without further ado, Rodney, I have to start by saying how much I've been looking forward to this discussion for actually several years now. We were set to start a film project together when the pandemic forced us to push pause on that, hopefully to be continued very shortly. But in the meantime, I'm so excited to explore your experience here, and I'm sure I have far too many questions for the time we have today. But I'd like to start with a simple one, and that is, who is Mr. Hoots? <laughs> And what happened on the day you met over 20 years ago now that really changed the entire trajectory of your life? Well, Mr. Hoots is a Eurasian eagle owl. They're one of the largest owl species. The program that I was working with, Earth Conservation Corps, we started a raptor program. So he was one of the first birds that we received, very large, scary looking owl. And so the first time I put him on my arm, and just was really looking at the size of this bird, his talents and everything, and realizing the beauty, the, the, the majesticness of this animal. It just, I tell everybody, it's the highest high you could ever reach. It's like any drug addict that'll tell you the first time they did whatever it was, they're chasing that high again. You'll never get it, but you're always going to chase it. That's that feeling you got with that bird. Wow. And most people, myself included, you know, have never had that thrill of a bird of prey, you know, flying to them and, and landing on their glove. The first time a bird lands on your arm, what's going through your mind? 
Well, first thing you're, when that bird starts flying towards you, the very first emotion is fear because you're understanding that there's eight razor sharp talons that are coming towards you when that bird turns up. And if it decides not to go to the glove and come towards you, you have to be able to block and do what you have to do so that everything runs through your head. Is it going to land? Is it going to chase me? Is it going to come out? When that bird actually hits your glove, I've had the roughest, toughest murderers start crying. So it's just, it's really, it's like your first child being born. It's, It's all of those beautiful firsts that you, you can never recreate. That's what that is. You mentioned that you've had some drug dealers start crying in this moment, and I'd love to use that as a, as a way to get into your backstory. Um, you know, I know you, you grew up in uh, Southeast Washington, D.C. at the time called Murder Capital, and I know you had challenges growing up. I'd love it if you could let our listeners know sort of, you know, where you came from and what were some of those challenges you faced, and then, um, you know, where you were at when you decided it was time to to do something different. Well, I mean, growing up in Southeast DC, a lot of people, every state has projects, uh, drug infested neighborhoods, prostitution. Well, where we were, we were infested with it. So I ended up getting into the drug game because I got tired of not being able to have the things I wanted to have. It wasn't so much of name brand clothes or anything like that. It was just the fact of clothes, good, decent clothes, shoes, wanted to eat, wanted to have. So you get yourself all wrapped up in that drug game thinking you're going to retire at 65 selling drugs, which is not going to happen. Right. I ended up going to 33 funerals in one year. Oh, my God. I believe there was 23 of those young people didn't make it to see 21 years old. So a lot of things were going on. What people don't realize is that hustling is an addiction, just like drugs is an addiction. When you get addicted to being able to eat, to be able to have clean clothes, the things that you did not have, and now someone's telling you to go back to eating two slices of bread with nothing in between it again, you're going to fight that every chance you get. However, you understand that it's only going to lead you one of two places, death or jail. Yeah. So you start really understanding that things that happen, people that were robbed or shot and things that happened in your neighborhood around you, your buddies and stuff, and you start understanding that you're blessed. So get out of it. Mm. God is telling you to get out of it. He's giving you so many opportunities. You better take advantage. So I explain to people, it's not overnight. Believe me, it's an addiction, just like anything else, and it takes time to wean yourself back. However, if you truly want to live, that's what you're going to do. And once that hit my head, I just had to slowly, slowly, slowly start changing. And the animals helped so much that it just felt natural. Yeah, and, you know, having something like falconry and i know you got involved with the earth conservation corps and we're cleaning up the river and and got introduced to birds of prey there i wonder if you can talk a little bit more about that time 
in your life when you started doing those things and how you feel like the animals did help you uh, come out of that situation? Well, I've always loved animals. I've never really been a people person. My great-grandmother had a farm, so I grew up around horses and pigs and ducks and everything. So when I was hustling, I needed a W-2. You don't get a W-2 from hustling. Right. You don't get a check scale from hustling. So I had to get a job. There was a job there with two jobs there. One was cleaning office buildings. The other was cleaning a tributary to the Anacostia River for $100 a week, eight hours a day, $100 a week. Mm. You do the math. Yeah, so right. you're selling something that costs 120 The least that you're selling is something that costs $125. And you're selling 10, 15, 20 of those a day. Mm-hmm. Why would you now work for $100 a week? Right. So it, that's where that wanting to live and changing and all of those things come into play. And so working there, cleaning the tributary, you started seeing fish and turtles and great blue herrings and beavers and everything coming back because this creek was literally dead Mm. to see that by me being an animal lover the way I am to see two fish come back and now a duck come back and now you have birds flying through here it was like I was giving birth I was a new mother or something so (laughs) I just kept I mean it's in my darkest hours I've always had an animal and so that's why I try to explain to people uh, the love for it. the the Monacan Indians have a saying, Matakwe Wasan, which means we all belong to each other. We all are responsible for everything and everybody. And so that's one of the things that I feel like with the animals, you know, we're all responsible for them. So they can help us in so many ways if you just open up and be receptive. Wow. And so during that time, you know, as as wildlife was coming back to the river, um, I understand birds of prey were a, a big part of that. And so you started encountering and working. And was it initially, was it rehabilitating birds of prey to get them back? Or how did that start? No, what we actually were doing was raptor education. Hmm. The birds that we had were non-releasable birds. So they were the ambassadors that we would use to go around and tell people about how the poisons and the contaminants and things that we are doing are is affecting the, the animal species, the bird life. So that's what those particular birds were for. When becoming a falconer, I had been working with Earth Conservation Corps for years and we only worked with adjudicated youth. So if someone came in and they wanted to uh, learn about the program, we basically had to tell them, you're not an adjudicated youth, you can't join. And I thought that was the dumbest thing in the world. We were all at that time talking about fighting the recidivism rate. Well, if you stop someone from going to jail to begin with, there is no recidivism rate. Right. So it's like preventative health care. It's like, oh, we only go to the doctor when we're sick. How about eating healthier and exercising and preventing it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I asked them, why don't we do have birds of prey that are flighted, non injured, that has that same struggle that the young people have? Mm. And without someone stepping in, and they say, well, in order to do that, you have to become a falconer. I said, Mm. okay, well, I'll become a falconer. And you would have thought I was on Jimmy Kimball Live telling (laughs) the biggest joke in the world because everyone looked at me and was laughing and, you know, giggling. 
I had no idea what the joke was. <laughs> you know, before this, I had never seen a black falconer. However, no one told me I couldn't be a black falconer. No, there was no law saying I couldn't do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know you met some skepticism and even some racist, racist <laughs> yeah. comments on, the, on that journey. <laughs> Can you tell me about some of those specifically? I'm thinking about, you know, the chickens comment among yeah. others. Oh, believe me, the, the chickens comment, a guy told me, he, I called to ask him to sponsor me. And he said, you sound like you're a black guy. I said, I am. He said, are you sure you want to get in the falconry? Uh, black people don't fly birds. Y'all eat them. These ain't uh, chickens. These are hawks and falcons. Wow. And so I just started laughing. It, it was comical to me because I knew going into it, you were going to run into something. And it just, it was amazing, though. I, all of that was fuel for me. Mm. When I tell someone I'm going to do something and you doubt it, I don't do it to prove you wrong. I do it because I said I can do it. I believe I can do it. It has nothing to do with you doubting me or supporting me. Mm. I'm going to do it. And so that's pretty much what happened that got me into the falconry because I wanted to be able to get people, not just young people, anybody that needed or wanted to learn a skill, uh, uh, develop a relationship with nature, any of that, and they wanted to do it, I would be able to do it and not have restrictions put upon me. Wow. I, when you were, when you were, you know, like you said, weaning yourself from the drug dealing lifestyle and you were starting to, to work with these animals and, and, you know, spend more time in nature, like, do you feel like, what did you, what were you learning from the birds themselves? And like, what was that doing to your mindset? And do you feel like there's a, a, a direct connection between time spent with them and your ability to move out of that situation. It's funny you said that. My son, actually, uh, the other day, he's a falconer also, and we were talking, and he said, Dad, I got to watch you grow. I said, what do you mean? He said, when you was raw, Dad, I mean raw, you were street raw. He said, as you kept working with these animals and these birds and these horses and stuff, I've seen situations you started handling differently. You didn't go off the handle like you used to. You wasn't as ready to be as violent and things of that nature. He said, these animals calmed you down. They made you start thinking and reacting differently. And it was so, it was so funny you said that because mm. I was explaining to him, as you grow, you're supposed to change. The things you knew that you thought were wrong then, if you think they're wrong, don't do them. Don't be that hypocrite. So I was sitting there with him and we were talking and it was just so comical that you said that mm. because he, he told me he watched me grow from a boy to a man, even though I was a man when he was born. Oh, wow. And that really hit deep. I imagine that would. That's yes. amazing. And it's hard to know, right? Like when you're changing yourself because you're living every day and it's incremental. It's like the frog in a pot of boiling water. It's like as the temperature is rising, you don't notice, right? Um, right? But you need someone outside yourself to say, you know, look, I'm, I'm seeing these changes in 
your traits and, and who you are. That's amazing that your son pointed it out. And I do want to talk about the fact that you are um, getting your son into falconing as well. Um, but first, uh, let's go back to when you were first starting to do this raptor program. What were you doing? I know you were you were bringing these birds into schools and in other programs. Like, how were you introducing? urban youth to these amazing birds, and why is that important to you? Well, the way everything actually started with the Earth Conservation Corps, when we did the raptor education, we would go to schools and uh, basically more schools than everything, and we would do the Earth Day events and things of that nature. However, when I started my particular part, there's a difference with uh, education birds and your own personal uh, falconry birds. Okay. So education birds, the public can see, they can't really interact with falconry. I can actually interact. I can get up close and personal. You can actually rub my birds crop and feel certain things or actually hold that bird, you know, things of that nature. So you would see the difference in seeing a bird and then holding that bird. Mm. The, when you see people, and not necessarily color-wise, I mean, economically, socially, far that's in the same situations that you are, poor, your welfare, everything. And you see someone that's come from exactly where you were, and you see that light in their eyes just go off. And their face glowing. And you say to yourself, I've never had this as a child. Had I had this, who knows where my life would have been. So to see them just and the questions that they get to asking and it, it becomes this this euphoria, I guess. I don't know. It's it's you just you lose yourself. You will be scheduled for an hour. You will be there for four hours because they're steadily asking questions and you can't leave. You can, but you, you can't <laughs> before because you want every child's question answered. So that way, that child, it could be 10 years from now, remembers that day that they felt special. And they want that feeling again. And so they start doing those same things introducing them to the animals, introducing them to nature, getting them started at an early age, gives them more respect for it. And what I found that happened with me and mine is it gave us more of a respect for each other. Mm. You can't treat an animal with all this love and respect and treat the next person disrespectfully and with hatred, you can't do that. So you had to learn to teach that bird how to do these things that you wanted it to do when it didn't, you couldn't holler and scream at the bird or beat the bird or chat. What, what could you do? So you had to change. If I'm trying to communicate with you in a certain way and it's not working, instead of me getting frustrated, I have to find another way to come at you. And that's what we end up doing. So I think that's where, like when my son was telling me, he's seen me grow mm. to have that and see that. I mean, it. people don't know it's more healing for me for all of the things that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, to be able to see somebody else smile and be happy. That's a beautiful blessing. Wow. 
that's so powerful. And I know you, you mentioned um, losing yourself, right? And I think in these moments with encounters with wildlife and nature, that's what happens. Like you do lose yourself. And in the process of losing yourself in a way, you, you find yourself in that you go like, this is what it is to be human. And this is what our ancestors were doing hundreds of years ago before we <laughs> came into this modern life. And I'm, I'm wondering if you've thought much about that or if it's just something you feel like, what is the almost spiritual component of like what's happening when you are, when you lose yourself in those moments, what do you think is going on and how does that change your mindset? Like in general, I can tell you exactly what's going on. All of my animals basically are named after loved ones, people we've lost, uh, people who were sick, things of that nature. So I explain to people, I have a bird named after my mother. When someone dies, the first thing we say is they're up there looking down on us. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, where's the bird? <laughs> they're doing what? Looking down on you. So if that bird is named after your mother, your cousin, your brother, whoever, how are you alone? They're sitting right there with you, looking down on you. And I explain to people, close your eyes, close your ears, and just listen with your heart. I guarantee you, if you're sitting there asking your deceased mom for advice and that bird's over top of you, you're going to hear exactly what she would have told you if you were standing right there beside her. You're not going to hear what you want to hear. So if you're thinking, oh yeah, she's going to agree with me, Nope. So it really, I tell people this whole thing with me, the, the spiritual side of it, the connection that it runs deeper than everything that you could possibly imagine. It's like the love for my kids in a sense. And so you definitely are going to lose yourself, regain yourself. I tell people I found something that I never even knew I was looking for. had no idea I was looking for it. And you don't know it's there until you have one of those awe-inspiring experiences, right? And when you have it, you can't go back to who you were. I mean, literally, it will definitely... I've had people come up to me, didn't know who they were. They said, I met you three years ago. You let me hold your bird. And ever since then, my life has been different. Thank you, you saved me. I said, no, I didn't. You saved you. The only thing I was able to do was show you something different that made you think differently. That's it. You had to get up every day. You had to go to work. You had to do those things and make those changes. So don't take away from your accomplishments because you did that. Mm. And he was just sitting there and they were... And to see the, the pride and the, every, oh man, it's, it's, it's indescribable. I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Wow. That reminds me of something um, I heard Jason Silva, a uh, philosopher, say, and he talks about how do we turn passing inspiration into guiding light? And I think that's these moments that you're talking about. They happen and then they're so powerful that we hold on to them. And if we can hold on to them long enough, they become a guiding light for yes. us and that's so true i can tell in all of these youth that you've introduced to these um, this amazing connection that can happen with wildlife and, and and getting out into these places where you lose yourself to find yourself i mean that's that's the beauty i think of of all of this which you so you know beautifully 
um, you know, put down in your in your in your new book, which you know we're gonna link to. And um, for everybody listening, um, this just came out, right? Your your book, Bird Brother. Can you talk a little bit uh, about about that? Uh, yes, it came out uh, February the third. Um, what happened was I was doing a presentation. A lady named Kate Pipkin happened to be there. At the end, she came to me and said, "How come you don't have a book? Why is there not a book about you?" <laughs> And I was explaining to her that I don't do what I do to be known at all. The only thing I would love, I love about it is the fact that people know that they now have a place that they can come and be able to get some of that stress off or camp out and just sleep under the stars and things of that nature. However, I tell people, check my bank account. I am broke. So believe me, I'm not a star. So that is more of how the book actually came about. And what I'm hoping from the book is the proceeds will go towards Dippy's Dream. And that's what my sanctuary is named. It's a human sanctuary that has animals. And it's named after my mother who passed away seven years ago. That's great. I, I did want to hear more specifically about Dippy's Dream and sort of your, your plans for the future. Before we do that, too, I want to get back to um, you teaching your your son to to falcon and and what that journey has been like <laughs> and meant for you um, to bring to bring family into this pursuit as well. Well, before my biological son became a falconer, one of my stepsons, which I don't use that term, however, one of my other sons had become a falconer and he stayed a falconer for two years. He had a baby and then so he had to leave it alone for a while. So my other son, what happened with him, my biological son, Michael, I was walking through the woods one day. He was driving up uh, out at Oak Hill where we were. He, he looked to the right and saw me come out the woods and he was sitting there like, why is my dad in the woods? So as I'm walking up the, uh, it's about a hundred yards up to the building, I blow a whistle and just put my arm out. My hawk comes out of the tree, flies behind me and is flying behind me behind my hand. And when I lift my hand up, the bird lands on my hand. My son hit the gas, drove up, jumped out the car. <laughs> oh my God, dad, that's so, oh dad, oh man, that's so tight. Dad. Oh my, dad, I didn't know what you was doing anyway. He just went off. He was like a five-year-old kid on Christmas morning. Oh my God, well, it's like finding yeah. out your parent is a superhero, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. He just went crazy and so a little while after that, he called me. He said, hey, Dad, I want to be a falconer. I said, well, you already know this is not a sport to me. This is a lifestyle. You know what I do with this. You know how seriously I take what I'm doing. So if you're ready, you know I'll be the one that sponsors you. He said, I'm ready, Dad. And so he came, he took his test, he passed his test, went to his house. We built an aviary in his backyard mm. that is still sitting in his backyard to this day. And uh, you know, him and I have always been close. We have this competition. It's a healthy competition, though. We, he'll tell you his handle is get your wings up. Mm. So I tell him I fly higher than any storm. I fly over him. So you got to catch up with So we go at each other. If he... If he gets a promotion at his job, and just like I'm doing this interview with you, I'll call him, I'll say, I just did an interview with Jesse. You gotta get your wings up, young man. <laughs> and so he'd be like, Dad, I'll take my test for such and such next week. And so we have this back and forth. It's a beautiful thing. And I believe the animals play a big role in it. 
Oh, that's so great. Oh man. I I love that. That is fantastic. And I I know you have a lot going on right now too with with the book and and spreading this this gospel to, you know, family but way beyond family as well to introduce more people to it. Um but in person you're doing something called Dippy's Dream that you alluded to and I'd love to hear what you're building out there and like what are your your long-term hopes for this place. Well, I was blessed to end up with a home out here. I have seven acres. So what I'm actually doing is building a few, a few uh, little sheds so that when people want to come out and actually camp out, if you have a little baby and you don't want to actually have the baby in the tent, you can put the tent inside of the little shed. It'll be about a 10 by 12. And you can actually, I mean, literally camp out, sleep under the stars, feed the horses, ride horses, uh, feed the raptors, milk the goats, garden, just get away. Every, every one of us every day has something that if we allow it, it can turn us into someone else, someone very bitter, someone. We all go through pain. We all need an outlet sometime. You know, you can't turn around and say certain things. You have to be politically correct on everything so you don't offend anyone. Well, when you come to Dippy's Dream, if you want to sit there and curse out a tree, go ahead. <laughs> it's not going to hurt anybody. So when you go back home, you know, you come back into it with a whole freshness about you because you got to get all of that stress and stuff off. And I explain to people, it's donation-based. It's basically free. Whatever you can afford, then you do. If you wanted to learn how to ride a horse and they were charging $2,000 for riding lessons, because you couldn't afford $2,000, did that mean you didn't deserve to learn how to ride a horse? Hmm. No, it just means you couldn't afford it. So if you had gotten down to Dippy's Dream and you had $100, guess what? You got all of the same writing lessons and experience that you would have gotten paying these people $2,000. Mm. It's not about money. It's about having a place to heal, to come down and sit and eat lunch and have a hawk and an owl and a falcon tethered down around. You know, the things that you never, ever thought you would have been able to do in life. Because I know growing up in the city, that's not even something that hits your mind. You're not thinking about a hawk. You're thinking about eating the next day. You're not thinking about where I can go and relax because you got that rat race you are in every single day. And then on top of it, the losing of your job, losing the people that you love, the stress that you go through, bills, inflation, everything. If we just sit there and let that build up, we're gonna all have strokes and heart attacks. So I want a place where you can just come. I grew up basically on a farm. My great-grandmother had a farm. My mother was country girl. So to see people come out and smile and be able to do gives me, helps me to feel like I'm letting my mom rest the way she's supposed to, to give back. She used to always say she wanted a home for all her kids to be able to come to. She passed before we got that. So now she counted everybody as her kid. So that's why the house is for everybody. Wow. It's amazing that this is really a return for you and your family over several generations. It's interesting that there was that start on a farm, you went to an urban place, and now you're back out where you were, which is really 
I think for everybody that goes out into nature, that's such a big part of what we're doing is all of our ancestors came from that tradition, right? We used to spend 90% of our time outside. Time. Yes. And now we spend 90% of our time inside. No wonder we have these, these stressors. Um, and so that's such a cool returning. And the fact that you're giving that gift to people through Dippy's Dream, I think is incredible. And I want to let our listeners know how they can support that. If, if you're open to it. Oh, sure. You can go to Rodney's Raptors. Um, I have a wish list on there. You can make donations. You can come volunteer. A uh, little bit of anything. Everything helps. Every single thing helps. I mean, so if you want to come down for a weekend and camp out, you have a rake, come on down. We can rake some leaves up. We can, you know, build some little pens for the goats and things of that nature. I mean, I just want to have a place that basically anybody you don't have to have anything to afford it that to me means the world i hope we can b build dippy's dream and, and and see you uh welcome so many people there but i'm curious for you know folks no matter where they're living is there any like small thing that you would say if, if nothing else um do this one thing whether that's a practice on a on a small practice on a daily routine or a way to introduce others to these sorts of experiences, what, what would you tell people? First, I would tell people kindness. An act of kindness doesn't cost a thing. Opening a door, helping an old lady across the street, or elderly gentleman across the street, getting up off the bus to let someone sit down. Every day show a little bit of kindness. And as you do, kindness comes back. The people around you, I was always told every moment's a teachable moment. So, and you never know whose eyes are upon you. So your character, your, you know, if you want it to be nature-based, start a butterfly garden. <laughs> Something that's seriously, just a little butterfly. If you look at it in the middle of the dirtiest, worst, drug-infested you can imagine. And then there's this five-by-five five little beautiful butterfly garden. Well, guess what starts to happen? People now start to come outside because that's beautiful. They want to keep that going. Now that five-by-five-foot garden becomes a 10-by-10-foot garden than a 20 by 20 foot garden because now everyone in that community feels connected. They want to see something happen. They love the beauty. You start seeing people coming outside, picking up trash in their neighborhood and putting it on a curb for the trash man to come get. You know, any little thing that you can think of because every one of us is able, even if it's just saying hello to a stranger. My mom used to say, kindness doesn't cost a thing. Sprinkle it everywhere she would tell you if a dog wagged his tail at you you better speak back to it and no and i'm dead serious if a stray dog wagged its tail you better speak back to it and she wasn't playing she had that believe me when it came to big dippy because her nickname was dippy her name mary stocks but her nickname was dippy when Dippy spoke, she was like E.F. Hutton. Everyone listen, trust me. And so the advice that she gave you, the things like now, I sit some time and just bawl out tears just because I can hear her telling me that she's happy hmm. and that she's proud. So you can always make someone proud. 
that dash in between our birth and death date. Make it mean something. We explain to people you die twice. Once when you physically die and when the last time someone mentions your name. That's why the animals are named after loved ones and you're never really gone. The physical may be, the spiritual and the emotional will always remain. And so it can just help you. These animals, this, this whole thing just, man, believe me, if I could go back and beat up the guy who I used to be before I, I almost had an opportunity and missed all of this, I'd have to talk to him real seriously. Yes, indeed. Well, you're, you are who you are now, so, yes. I mean, you made it. There's no question about that. Um, well, I love that advice from, from Big Dippy. Sprinkle a little that's kindness it. everywhere. It doesn't that's cost it. a thing. <laughs> nope. I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much, Rodney. Thank you. Thank you. I'm truly honored, truly blessed. Appreciate you so much. To support Rodney's work with Rodney's Raptors or Dippy's Dream, or to order his book, Bird Brother, visit his site at rodneysraptors.webs.com. That's rodneysraptors.webs.com. Open Air Humans is a production of Credo Nonfiction. See and hear more at credononfiction.com. And we'd love to see and hear from you. As part of Open Air Humans, we're collecting something we call Open Air Diaries. We'd love a simple story from you about a moment you were out in nature and became awestruck. Tell us about a time you experienced something that made you feel a deeper or more profound connection to the world around you. If you'd be so kind to record that story, on your phone is great, and email that audio file to openairhumans at gmail.com. We'll be collecting these and playing one at the end of each episode moving forward. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us and sharing your life with us out here in the open air.